I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. We <laughs> we are back. We're back. We We're back. trying to be serious, but y'all know how that go. <laughs> yeah, who knows how well this is going to go. <laughs> oh, me. Who knows how well this is going to go today. Okay, so. What I'm you do- got? I am doing. What you got on the menu for today? The menu for today, we've got a little Cajun Creole goodness. Mm. <laughs> you know all of my Creole. Yeah. The Axeman of New Orleans. <gasps> unsolved. And he can stay there. <laughs> he. You said unsolved. And I'm just sitting here like. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Y'all know how it is. Y'all, know, y'all already know. Unsolved. It's been a while since you've done Unsolved, hasn't it? I feel like. Well, I mean, or technically, just... Lizzie Borden is unsolved. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. But they just kind of were like, well, whatever. Well, maybe I'm just coming to terms with <laughs> all my unsolved stories. <laughs> I feel like I just feel like there hadn't been one in a while, but yeah, has. I think all of mine so far, except one of my murders. Two. It's so weird when you say one of my murders. Like Murder. you kill somebody. <laughs> one of my murders. Talking about her articles. <laughs> the articles. Yeah, I think. Yeah, out of my murders, two of them have only been solved. Out of like three, I don't know. I think I've had five murders and only three of them have been. I don't know. And I got lost. Anywho, two out of five have been solved. So I'm a. So now it's going to be two out of six. Because <laughs> we don't know who did this. Sorry, spoilers. Okay. So, the Axeman of New Orleans was a serial killer working in the city and other surrounding cities from May of 1918 until October of 1919. He was lurking in the shadows at night and is responsible for possibly 12 attacks and deaths. He only seemed to strike people when they were asleep in their beds so which is mm -mm. he never used his own tools he only used what he could find on hand at the victim's houses which was usually an axe he would leave it behind at the scene of the crime um and you know a lot of people know the axe man now because it was featured on season three of american horror story Mm -hmm. coven which is my favorite one my favorite season. But yes, this was a big thing. So, getting right into it. The first attack happened on May 23rd, 1918. Catherine and Joseph Maggio were attacked in their home on Magnolia Street. Their throats were slit with a straight razor while they laid in bed. Catherine had been almost entirely decapitated, and Joseph had suffered many severe injuries. A complete search of the premises was not completed by police after the bodies were removed. You know, okay. I mean... 
But later, the bloody razor was found on the lawn of a close-by property. Police ruled out, you know, robbery as motivation Mm -hmm. for the attacks because the money and valuables were left in plain sight. And, like, nothing was stolen. So there's just jewelry, watches, laying out. Wasn't touched. So the razor that used... That used... The razor used to kill the couple was found to belong to Andrew Maggio, the brother of Joseph, who conducted... Conducted... A barbershop on Camp Street. So, I don't know where conducted came from. I don't know why it's in my notes. But... Andrew, the brother, had a barbershop on Camp Street, and it was his razor that killed... Those people. Yeah. The people. His brother. Yeah, so they both died, I guess. The wife and... His employee, Esteban Torres, told police that Maggio had removed the razor from his shop two days before the murders. He told his boss he wanted to have a nick smoothed down from the blade. Which would be probably, I mean, that sounds dangerous. If you got yeah. a nick in your blade, like, mm-hmm. So he went to, you know, smooth it down, he said, or that's why he was taking it. Andrew lived in the adjoining apartment to his brother's residence. And his brother and his brother's wife's the one that got murdered. Mm-hmm. So he discovered his brother and his sister-in-law's bodies roughly two hours after the gruesome attacks had happened. He went to check on them after hearing strange groaning noises through the wall. Oof. At the scene, they couldn't find a motive for the crimes, but they found the bottom panel of the kitchen door had been knocked out, which is how the killer likely gained access to the house. So, like, those, you know, just like a like a door to your room, but it has the four panels, two at the top and two at the bottom. And they just chiseled out one side of it. First of all, I ain't even going to fit through that. No. <laughs> but. I barely fit through the car door. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Oh, my God. So, yeah. You know, just breaking in that way. It's. Mm. <laughs> it must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it must be nice to be thin enough to climb through it. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, the chisel was what was used to knock the panel out of the door, not the axe. Um, fingerprinting was around at that time, but it wasn't standard procedure yet. So, they're like, yeah, <laughs> Moving on. So, then on June 28th, so, you know, just a little bit over a month later, Louis Bessemer and Anna Lowe were attacked in the living quarters at the back of his grocery store. Lewis was struck with a hatchet above his right temple, mm-hmm, which resulted in a possible skull fracture. Lowe was hacked over the left ear uh, and found unconscious when police arrived at the scene. The couple was discovered shortly after 7 a.m. on the morning of the attack by John Zanka, a baker making deliveries in the neighborhood. So they originally thought that he killed them, yeah. but he was just delivering bread to the family. Lewis survived the attack. Anna survived for seven weeks before dying of her injuries. Mm-hmm. No, it's just horrifying. Yeah, this is all going to be obviously people murdered with an axe this whole time. So just be prepared. Um, 
So before dying, Anna told the police that she saw a tall white man with a hatchet. Um, you know, and that was who attacked them. Mm-hmm. Um, the bottom door panel of their bedroom was missing, and all that was left behind again was the bloody hatchet. The axe, which had belonged to Bessemer himself, was found in the bathroom of the apartment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, police arrested potential suspect Louis Ubicon? Ubicon? I guess. Ubicon? Ubicon? I don't know. O U B I C O N. Not you sure. You ain't got to spell it out for me. Ubicon. 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 Don't know. Um, but he's a 41 year old African American man who had been employed in Bessemer's store just a week before the attacks. Didn't she say a white man? It don't matter, Chelsea. <laughs> they done found somebody black, and that's it. That's how it was. Y'all, y'all, this is crazy, okay? Tall, like, tall she said a white me. man. A tall white man attacked me. Like, oh, oh, there's a black guy. Black guy. He did it. Arrest. Well, yeah. Listen. Crazy. So, no evidence existed that he was behind the attacks, but police arrested him anyway. After his arrest, Anna said she remembered a mulatto or light-skinned man attacking them. But the police said Ubicon gave conflicting accounts of his whereabouts on the morning of the attack. Robbery was said to be the only possible explanation for the attacks. Yet no money or valuables were removed from the couple's home. Ubicon was later released as police were unable to gather sufficient evidence to hold him accountable for the crimes. I mean, that's normally what robbery means is when things are stolen from your your home. Well, it had to have been a robbery, but nothing was stolen. Makes sense. What do you mean? Man, it wasn't no robbery. They just trying to get in and slay some people. Slicing and dicing. That's all this person's Mm -hmm. after. Slice and dice and leave. Yeah. Now, the next one is Anna Schneider. And she was found attacked but alive on August 5th and was rushed to the hospital. She was 28 years old and was pregnant at the time of the attack. She woke up to a dark figure standing over her and was bashed in the face repeatedly. Yeah. Her scalp had been cut open. Her -hmm. face was completely covered in blood. Um, Anna was discovered after midnight by her husband, Ed Schneider, who was returning late from work. Anna claimed she remembered nothing of the attack and gave birth to a healthy baby girl two days after the incident and went on to survive the attack. Dang. Come through. Her husband told the police that nothing was stolen from the house besides six or seven dollars that had been in his wallet. The windows and doors of the apartment... Money had been stolen from whose wallet? His wallet. The ruler got the face bashed in? The, her husband's wallet. So I guess he didn't take so it. So he didn't have his wallet when he was gone? I guess not. <laughs> okay. I don't understand. Okay. He That's... went to work with no wallet. This is New Orleans. There are streetcars. Yeah. Or walking to get to work. But why would you not have your wallet on you? Yes, that's odd. That's why I was like, wait a minute. We still talking about the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. Hmm. The window and doors of the apartment appeared to not have been forced open, and authorities came to the conclusion that the woman was most likely attacked with a lamp that had been on a nearby table. James Gleason, who police said was an ex-convict, was arrested shortly after Schneider was found. Gleason was later released due to a complete lack of evidence. 
and stated that he originally ran from from authorities because he had so often been arrested. So he was just like, they after me again. <laughs> Here we go. He's like, oh, shoot. Do so it, who know, he do pro- it. <laughs> ah, shoot. <laughs> my dad does this. That's what my dad does. He doesn't cuss. So he'll just be like, ah, shoot. <laughs> That's what that guy did. He just started running. So, lead investigators began to speculate that the attack was related to the previous incidents involving Bessemer and Maggio. Which is like, oh, I wonder what gave you that idea. <laughs> oh, I'm yawning. I'm sorry, y'all. Five days later, on August 10th, so, like, this was, like, kind of months apart. Mm-hmm. No, boom. Five days later, August 10th, 80-year-old Joseph Romano was attacked at his home on the corner of Tonti and Gravier Street. He was found by his nieces who could hear him struggling in the house. Hmm. His head was bashed in. The two girls said they saw the attacker and they described him as dark, tall, heavy set, wearing a dark suit and a black slouch hat. Joseph would die two days later. Hmm. Yeah, so sad. After these four attacks, people were scared to death for good reason, you know. Yeah. And men are staying up all night. Guns loaded, watching over their families. They're still getting got. <laughs> Sleeping. I mean, yes, pretty much. Um, but, you know, people started just watching their families sleep. Yeah. To make sure no one was going to sneak in unannounced. And the police are trying to figure out who's behind the attacks and murders, but they can't seem to find any leads. And extra police are working every day. It did seem to work for, you know, because the Axemen hadn't attacked in some time. Mm-hmm. So all the heavy policing and everything really helped out until March 10th, 1919. Now, is our boy still arrested? Which one? The black guy that got arrested after that girl said there was, it was a white man. No. He he did get let go. Oh, he did? Yeah. Believe it or not. But, yeah. So he got let go. The other guy who, who was running, he got let go. He was like, sorry, I thought y'all were after, just after me in general. Like, I didn't know y'all were coming to get me for this murder. No, I didn't do it. So, now we're at March 10th. And so, this has been, you know, it's been like eight months, seven, eight months, you know. Mm-hmm. Everything's been cool. Boom. I'm, the, I'm back. Yeah, just guess who's back. Okay. Back again. <laughs> the Axe Man's back. Uh so Tell your friends. <laughs> please somebody help somebody so on march 10th 1919 rose cordemelia woke up to her husband charles fighting off the axemen but couldn't stop him from attacking his family the axemen also attacked their okay whoo trigger warning i forgot about this the axemen also attacked their two-year-old daughter mary mm who unfortunately would not survive and was the only death in the attack. Charles and Rose would survive. I mean, how horrible. (laughs) You said, I mean. Yeah, that's... mm. Uh, Can you... Like, why do you... you I understand why you gotta pick on the the babies. Yeah, like, what is going on? I mean, if you're gonna kill people, just kill adults. Like, just don't... (laughs) Just don't kill kids. Like leave kids alone. Don't kill. Yeah, don't kill anybody. But don't be killing no babies. That's horrible. So this person is trash. Obviously, trash. Trash. Garbage. Okay. 
Um, in typical Axeman fashion, the axe used belonged to the Cordemilia family. Screams were heard coming from the Cordemilia residence. Grocer Irlando Giordano rushed across the street to investigate. When he got there, Giordano noticed that Charles Cordemilia, his wife, and their daughter had all been attacked by the unknown intruder. Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound. <laughs> Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, clutching her deceased daughter. Ugh. Charles lay on the floor, bleeding profusely. <sighs> Am I gonna get through it, God? Yes. Charles lay on the floor, bleeding profusely. The couple rushed to Cherry. Oh my God. <laughs> The couple rushed to Charity Hospital, where it was discovered that they had both suffered skull fractures. Nothing was stolen from the house, but a panel on the back door had been chiseled away, and a bloody axe was found on the back porch of the home. This is the only murder that took place outside of New Orleans. They lived in Gretna, which is a suburb outside of the city across the Mississippi River. Okay. A few days later, the Times Picayune gets a letter from the axe man so here we go the original no. <laughs> the original serial killer writing in to you know well not no that's not true because jack the ripper did too anyway point is one of the earlier <laughs> you mean jake the ripper <laughs> yeah J i'm sorry excuse me jake <laughs> according to chelsea jake the ripper oh my land Ooh, lord lord that was so good so yeah so he done wrote a letter to the times picayune here we go. <laughs> Hottest Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortals of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me. You heard it. Yeah, like, apparently, <laughs> well, people have seen you. They just don't know if you're black or white or mulatto. So, not really. <laughs> so, maybe, hell, maybe they haven't seen you. Who knows? Um look and see my computer wants to try to fix the letter and i'm like no this is what he said yeah. i said what i said okay they have never caught me and they never will they have never seen me for i am invisible even as the ether that surrounds your earth mm. i am not a human being but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell i am what you orleanians and your foolish police call the axe man he listen he be and he dogs the police just oh foolish gosh. police when i see fit i shall come and claim other victims i alone know whom they shall be i shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with blood and brains of he whom i have sent below to keep me company if you wish you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me of course i am a reasonable spirit I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. <laughs> I don't think there is any need of such warning for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, 
You Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I would, I could, excuse me, at will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Uh-uh. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Mm-mm. Well, as I... <laughs> he is so ratchet. Like, this long... Yeah. Extra... Okay. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native tartar Tartarus... Well... As I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, and am, am and, (laughs) what? (laughs) Am and. (laughs) I have been, am and, and am, maybe. I have been, and am like now am still because here's what it says i have been am and will be okay i have been am and will be is how but he can't his grammar is <laughs> atrocious i have been am and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fantasy the axe man <sighs> yeah don't forget to sign off yes <laughs> <laughs> oh god so he wrote that sent that to the newspaper and this letter would later inspire the creation of a jazz song called don't scare me papa also known as the axeman's jazz okay um i'm gonna play a little bit for us gotta keep it gotta jazz it up or else he's gonna kill you so don't scare me papa and then march 19th 1919 was the tuesday night mentioned in the letter it was said that the city was truly alive that night people were blaring jazz music in their homes through the quarter and the entire city 
If people didn't own a record player, they poured into local jazz clubs to stay clear of the Axeman. No one was killed that night, and it seems as if the Axeman was pleased with all the music. That's always good. Yeah, I was like, shoo, okay. No Y'all all right? <laughs> Y'all make it? <laughs> so everything, you know, that night nobody was killed. And it was like, okay, maybe he's gone. But he wasn't. He wasn't gone. So then a couple months later, August 10th, Steve Boca, a local grocer, was badly injured in his home. He woke up with a man standing next to him with an axe. Uh, he survived the attack by staggering to a friend's house who called the police for him after he collapsed. Steve never regained his memory, probably due to the blows to his head. Nothing was taken from his house, but no wait, but one of the back door panels had been chiseled away to gain entry into the home. Of course. <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, back at it again. Same old thing. Later that month, 19-year-old... I don't know why I'm struggling <laughs> so bad, my God. Later that month, 19-year-old Sarah Lawman was attacked by someone who entered through an open window. Neighbors came to check on the young woman who had lived alone and broke into the home when Lawman didn't answer. They discovered the 19-year-old lying unconscious on her bed, suffering from a severe head injury and missing several teeth. Yeah. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. It's... If you're going to tell me about teeth, just go ahead and kill me first. Because I ain't trying to sit through no pain like that. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, it's not even pulling. Like, they got knocked out. Oh. From the. I thought. Yeah. Look, I was, mm-hmm. you know people be doing that. Oh, yeah. Or have done that. Yeah, no, this is just from, I guess, where the axe hit her in the mouth. And mm-hmm. it knocked her teeth out. Um, when she came to, she couldn't remember any of the details from her attack. Like, you just getting, oh, just waking up, and you're missing teeth, and you're bleeding, and you have head wounds, and it's like, I don't know what happened. Crazy. Mm-mm. So, about two months later, on October 27, 1919, at the corner of South Scott and Eola Street, the Axemen attacked Esther and Mike Pepitone. Esther woke up around 1 a.m. hearing her husband screaming from the bedroom. When she got to the bedroom, she found her husband lying in bed and two figures in the bedroom. If I ever get a husband and I hear him screaming, I'm leaving the house. I'm not even going to go check on him. Mm-mm. Because, telling you right now. <laughs> you just going to leave him? I ain't trying to die, too. Like, <laughs> you just going to call the police? I'm, I'm not trying to die. But you no, never know. He could have fallen I'm, and broken I'm his head. talking smack. I probably would. <laughs> but you think... About this woman, like, she probably thought he, like, fell and yeah, hurt himself, like, and then she, she probably, came in the she room. She wasn't thinking about. But how we are, though, like, we would go there. Yeah, I'd be like, like who who in the house? There? So. If it's a, if someone's attacking you, scream again. Yeah. Be, are you being murdered? What's happening? Yell. What, instead of screaming, you just yell what's happening. Someone's in the house. Like, I could, need to know. Or you could do, like, I a, fell. Or you could do like, a, okay, if something ever happens and someone's attacking you, yell hot dog or something. That way I know. <laughs> like it's happening. To bring a gun or something, you know what I mean? <sighs> Just literally being triggered by the word hot dog. <laughs> like. Hot dog. <laughs> like what? Can't go to a baseball game ever again. Um. So Esther woke up, yeah, 1 a.m. Heard, heard, <laughs> heard her husband screaming. 
When she got to the bathroom, she found her husband lying in bed and the two figures in the bathroom. In the bedroom, my God. But she couldn't identify them as they fled the scene. Her husband was struck in the head 18 times. Yeah, and he died two hours later. A bolt with a heavy nut, like one used to secure a circus tent, was one of the weapons, and there was a circus that weekend around the corner on Tulane Avenue. This is the end of the Axeman's killing spree. There have been, you know, tons of theories about this case. Mm -hmm. Some people think these attacks were not orchestrated by the same person. So, the majority of the Axeman's victims were Italian immigrants or Italian-Americans, leading many to believe that the crimes were ethnically motivated. Many... Let's see. Many media outlets sensationalized this aspect of the crimes, even suggesting mafia involvement despite lack of evidence. Some crime analysts have suggested that the killings were related to sex and that the murder was perhaps a sadist specifically seeking female victims. Because in a lot of areas, you know, the women have been dying, the men not so much. So criminologist Colin and Damon Wilson hypothesized that the Axemen killed male victims only when they obstructed his attempts to murder women, supported by cases in which the wife of the household was murdered but not the man. A less plausible theory is that the killer committed the murders in an attempt to promote jazz music, suggested by a letter attributed to the killer in which he stated he would spare the lives. Of those who play jazz in their homes. I'm like, but if you're doing all this killing over jazz, that's just a lot. So, when it comes to the Bessemer Lowe attack and murder, the one where they were like, oh, the black guy did it. So, that's these people. Like, the first, second one. She said it was a white guy, and then the police arrested the black guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So, in her attacks, well, their attacks... You know, then the media was like, oh, well, Louis did it, or Louis, whatever. Yeah. Um, as a series of letters written in German, Russian, and Yiddish were discovered in a trunk at his home, police suggested, nope, police suspected that Bessemer was a German spy and government officials began a full investigation of his potential espionage. Weeks later, after going in and out of consciousness, Harriet Lowe... So yeah, it wasn't even yeah. Harriet Lowe told police that she thought Bessemer was in fact a German spy, which led to his immediate arrest. So the girl that he was with was like, "Yeah, I think he did it." So I don't know why I have Anna in here in the beginning, if her name's Harriet. So not sure there, but anyway, moving on. Lowe became the center of a media circus. The woman, as she continually made scandalous and false statements relating to both the attacks and the character of Louis Bessemer, some of which were described in the preceding description. Uh, The Times-Picayune sensationalized Lowe and her outspoken nature upon discovering that she was not the wife of Bessemer, but his mistress. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So... Two days later, Bessemer was released, and two lead investigators of the case were demoted due to unacceptable police work. Bessemer was once again arrested in August 1918 after Harriet Lowe, who lay dying in Charity Hospital, 
after a failed surgery, stated it was he who had attacked her more than a month previously with his hatchet. He was charged with murder and served nine months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919, after a 10-minute jury deliberation. So, okay. So, John D'Antonio, a then-retired Italian detective, told the media he thought the man who had committed the Axeman murders was the same man who had killed several individuals in 1911. He told them about similarities that the two sets of homicides had been committed, Mm -hmm. um, assuming the victims had been attacked by the same person. D'Antonio described the potential killer as an individual of dual personalities who killed without motive. This type of individual, D'Antonio stated, could very likely have been a normal law-abiding citizen Mm -hmm. who was often overcome by an overwhelming desire to kill, He went on later to describe the killer as a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, what? I mean, could be. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. So, you remember the court Amelia's? It's the mom and dad who lost lost the baby. So, upon waking up, Rosie Cordemelia made claims that Irolando Giordano and his 18-year-old son, Frank, were responsible for the attacks. Irolando was 69 and was too poor of health to have committed the crimes. Frank Giordano was more than six feet tall and weighing over 200 pounds. So he would have been too large to fit through the panel in the back door. So it was like, how are they going to get in? Charles Cortemilia disagrees and denied his wife's claims, but the police arrested the two of them and charged them with murder. The men would later be found guilty. Frank was sentenced to hang, and his... I'm telling you. And his father to life in prison. Charles Cortemilia divorced his wife after the trial. Almost a year later, Rosie announced that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. Her statement was the only evidence against the Giordanos, and they were released from jail shortly after. So, like, what? Well, at least they didn't get... Yeah. Could have got hung right there in Jackson Square, because yeah. that's where they did it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we know where they were about to be. Yeah. We knew where they were being in prison, right there right there at the Presbytery or the other one. I don't forget which one it is, but it's right there in between, yeah, in between the, the cathedral. The... Just out here lying on people. See, I'm glad I didn't live back then because somebody lied on me. I didn't act a fool and they just go ahead and hang me anyway. <laughs> They're like, nah, she did it. <laughs> she out here acting them up. <sighs> so, the main suspect that crime writer Colin Wilson speculates is the axe man is Joseph Mumphrey. According to hearsay, Mike Pepitone's widow, Esther, shot and killed this man. Now, Mike Pepitone, Esther, Esther and Mike, they are the ones that she found the two men in her bedroom. Yeah, killed her husband. Yeah, and her husband died. And then it looked like a bolt from a heavy nut with a circus tent. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So this is her. She shot who? She shot this guy named Joseph Momfrey, apparently, according to hearsay, in L.A. in 1920. 
but there's no paper trail or any info that tells us a man by that name died in L.A. or that she ever went to L.A. in New Orleans or Los Angeles newspapers. But that's like something they say is that she killed this guy, you know. Mm. Newton notes that Momfrey, this guy, was not an unusual surname in New Orleans at the time of the crimes. There may have been an individual named Joseph Momfrey or Mumphrey in New Orleans who had a criminal history and who may have been connected with organized crimes. But local records for the time are not extensive enough to confirm this or to positively or to positively identify the individual. My Lord. Wilson's explanation is an urban legend and there is no more evidence on how the identity of the killer than there was at the time of the crimes. <laughs> so there's the people who could have done it. Also, these people are a little ratchet because they yeah. just line on people and all that. And we don't know who did it. And it has been almost 113 years. Yeah. Unsolved. So that is the story of 113. Mm-hmm. I thought it was 1919. 2019's 100 years. Well, I said, um, what did I say? 113. Betty White was born in 22. <laughs> and she was going to be 100 years old this year. 1919. Cool. It's 103 right now. And then in... May, it'll be 104. I don't know where the 13 came from. Don't ask me. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway. That was good. <laughs> Thanks. That is... The Axeman. The Axeman of New Orleans. So, you know, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, you can email us at amillionmurders at gmail.com. You can check our Instagram out at a million Motors to check out the photos from our case. Look at the people that, the victims, and then the rude people that kill people. And we have our Facebook page that we all know. <laughs> don't do much with. Right, right. It's all right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, so tell your family and friends. And your dog and your cat and the squirrel you see running across the street <laughs> to, <Yes>. give us, <laughs> to, give, to give us a listen. Yes. Alrighty. Well, thank you all for tuning in. We hope you come back for a million, million more. more.